I'm reading from John chapter 6, the portion that you see printed there in your bulletin. I will begin just a few verses before that and then read uh, some passages, uh, some portion of the passage that's not in your bulletin, and then we'll pick up and we'll stop a little short of what's in your bulletin. So you can follow along if you'd like, but a little better than half of it is there before you. The rest of it will have to be the hearing of the ear. Listen now to the Word of God. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Do No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I chose to 
give us the entire discourse on the bread of life in one solid block of reading because there are scholars who believe, and I sort of follow along with them, that this was an extremely structured and highly homiletical speech that Jesus made. This is not just a conversation, just a discourse. It certainly is that. He has a discourse back and forth with the people. But this Jesus, as it were, preached. This is Jesus doing some homiletical exercises. This is not just Jesus teaching informally on the mountainside, but this is Jesus, as we would say, holding forth. In fact, the very next verse, where after I stopped, said, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. The day before, Jesus had performed a miracle. That is, he had fed the 5,000. Then the crowd had moved, the disciples had moved over sea, and Jesus had walked on the water, and some things had happened overnight. And now the next day, a mass of the crowd had followed him over to the town of Capernaum, which was Jesus' adopted hometown. He was from Nazareth, grew up there, but his ministry in Galilee centered around this village by the side of the Sea of Galilee. So now Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and as we look at it, he's preaching. Can you see the homiletical and the preaching elements in this particular passage? How many times does he say, and I will raise them up on the last day? How many times does he say, I am the bread of life? How often does he talk about life coming from the Father and he having the life and then he imparting the life to others? How often does he talk about living forever, never dying, having eternal life, having everlasting life? These are strong themes that are repeated over and over in this particular sermon that Jesus preached. And in this discourse we find some of the most amazing teachings of Jesus. Not only is it an extremely strong assertion of his personhood, that is, insisting on who he was, that is, that he had come down from the Father. Earlier when they greeted Jesus, they said, where have you been? Where did you go? Well, you remember after he fed the 5,000, he receded to a place, to solitude. He disappeared because they, seeing his great miracle, wanted to make him king. And instead, he was quiescent and moved away from them. And now the next day, he reappears. They see him again because he's now come out of his seclusion. He's been with his disciples overnight, and now he's teaching them. They say, where did you come from? That is an earthly question. Jesus gives a heavenly answer. I came down from the Father. That's where I came from. Over and over and over in John, we've already seen it. We're only in chapter 6, but we've seen over and over when things that are of this earth are spoken of, Jesus gives them the heavenly, the spiritual meaning and explanation. You remember Nicodemus, we're talking about birth, being born of a woman. And Jesus talks about being born from above, being born of the Spirit, being born again. You remember the woman talked about the water at the well. 
And Jesus was talking about the living water, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You remember in the temple, Jesus was talking, the people were talking about that temple that tear it down and, and, and all of the things that would happen in the temple. And Jesus was speaking of his own body, the great spiritual reality of his death and resurrection on the third day. And we see this over and over, and this is exactly what's happening here. In fact, there's kind of a pattern. You'll see that when Jesus talked to the woman of the well, and after he explained to her that whoever drinks of the water that he gives will never thirst again, you remember what she said? She says, give me this water. She may have meant, I just am tired of drawing well, well water. I need this spring of water in my life. And then she goes on to understand the great riches of what he's talking about when he's talking about salvation and the spirit birth of the life of springing up with the living water. And the people here do the exact same thing. They said, give us this bread. He's talking about the bread, but he's talking about the bread that came down from heaven. They're talking about the manna in the wilderness that Moses provided. And they were basically saying to him, Moses provided for a huge multitude over a long period of time. You gave bread to 5,000 on one afternoon. And Jesus, I think, in a a little bit of of a starched spine, said to them, It was not Moses that gave you that bread. It was my Father that gave you that bread. And the bread-giving Father that sustained life in the wilderness for His people was doing it at the physical level because the proof is it didn't sustain them for everlasting life. They all died in the wilderness. But the bread that I'm talking about, the bread from heaven that the Father gives you, is me. It is my flesh. And what I will do with my flesh, he says there is, I will give my flesh for the life of the world. This passage is an atonement passage. It's a salvation passage. It's talking about the redemption that Christ will affect in his life, and in his death. This is Jesus teaching us under the rubric of the bread. He's teaching us about himself. This is not about Moses. It's about Christ. It's not about manna. It's about Christ. It's not even principally about the Lord's table and the Eucharist, although you can see incredible communion truths of eating and drinking. And everything that this communion is all about is clearly, clearly referencing what Jesus is teaching. But he's not giving them a Eucharistic passage. It's interesting that in the Gospel of John, we don't have the words of institution where Jesus said, this is my body and take and eat and this is the cup of the new covenant. 
John never spells that out. He just talks about how Jesus loved his disciples, and then he tells us all the things that Jesus talked about with his disciples in the upper room that night and following and going into the garden. And John has a very full text of things concerning the Passion night. But nothing about the words of institution. Because this that Jesus is teaching is the truth and the reality that lies behind the supper. And there's an interesting passage in here where he talks about he's come to do the will of the Father. He says, I didn't come to do my own will, but I've come to do the will of the Father. This is the Garden of Gethsemane prefigured, where Jesus in his agony will kneel in the garden and will say, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus is, is, is getting extremely uh, serious about his passion and his saving death and what he's come to do for not only them, but for the whole world in saving lost sinners. In fact, it's exactly one year later after this particular time of Jesus teaching and feeding the 5,000, one year later in the Passover season, the very next year that Jesus himself is hanging on the cross, giving his flesh, his life, his blood for the world. Now, there's interesting things here that Jesus has to teach them, and there's so many that I, I just hope that... Uh, <laughs> Let me, just, let me just point out a few of them that are just remarkable. Jesus promises that the bread of life is such a bread that if someone consumes it, if someone partakes of it, someone ingests it, they will thereby receive eternal life. We're far beyond the physical. We're here now in the spiritual realm talking about believing, trusting, coming to Jesus Christ. Believing Christ is eating the bread. Hence the title which says to faith it or to believe it is to partake of it, to eat it. I like the way St. Augustine of Hippo said it. Believe and you have eaten. This is about coming to Christ. This is about believing in Christ. This is about taking Christ in. And we, we speak of that. We talk about uh, drinking in the contents of a book. We talk about soaking up the beauty. We're often talking about how we, uh, something is so good we could eat it. This is, this is the metaphor, the prime metaphor that's over it all is that Christ is to be believed, he's to be received, he is to be, we are to come near to him, we're to draw near to him, and all of this is that of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. In fact, the word he uses toward the end of the passage when he said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, when he, he says that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. It's really the word for crunch or to gnaw. In other words, it's a relishing. 
It's a consuming of Christ. I'm afraid so many of us are so far from that in the way we relate to Christ that it's not even um, comical. Jesus uses terms here about abiding. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He will talk more about abiding when he uses the metaphor of the vine, how the branches abide in the vine and how it is only through the vine that they receive their life. Well, it's only through Christ that we receive eternal life. And that's really what this is about, the bottom line. There's there's so many rich things here, but the bottom line is a simple truth, and that is eternal life, salvation, everlasting life is in Christ alone. And we must come to Him, we must consume Him, we must trust Him. It's interesting that um, several things Jesus said, one of my favorite little verses is verse 37. He's talking about coming to him. He said, you've seen me, but you do not yet believe. Oh, I, I think that describes just a whole lot of people. In fact, the part of the, the passage that we're not considering today, but is in part of your text, is, is as a result of this particular sermon, Jesus loses most of his disciple band. They have seen him. They've seen him do the signs and the miracles. They've heard him teach. And yet, they do not believe in him. What, what, about, what about the multitude that comes to church and hears the gospel and beholds the majesty of Christ and hears his powerful words They do not believe in him. And so Jesus tells them that there is a number that the Father has given him. And in verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Years ago in my Baptist preaching days, that was a three-point sermon for me. Let me give you just the outline of it. All that the Father gives me, that sovereign, divine election. God the Father has a number upon which He has placed His affection in all eternity past, and they are His. Jesus will call them in another context, my sheep. And Jesus came to do his entire work for the benefit and the saving efficacy of his life is directed to those that are placed in him by the sovereign election of the Father. The Father has given him a number. That's a huge number. It's a number that no one can count. It's as the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea, but it is a number. And it is that number that Christ comes for. And his work 
is that he will accomplish that salvation, that he will not yield to the temptation of Satan, that he will not fail in his work, that he will not fall, that he will not be redirected or misdirected, or that he will fail, but he will carry out those the Father has given him. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That is efficacious grace. Irresistible grace sometimes called. That number that God has given to the Son, the Spirit will surely effectually draw. He will cause them to be willing. He will show them their sin. He will work contrition and repentance in their hearts. He will give them the gift of repentance. He will bestow upon them the gift of faith. He will open their blind eyes that they may see Christ. And He will save their sin-sick souls and revive their dead souls, bringing them from death to life with a resurrection. They will come to him. The work of Christ on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart are coterminous. Christ does not die in the place of people who are not saved. His work is sufficient, efficacious, And he will accomplish that thing whereto he was sent. He will not fail. And the Spirit of God will draw. He says that the Father draws. He says no one has seen God except the Father who is from God. And the Father will be the one that will draw all men. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The triune God does not work in disharmony. Jesus doesn't die for people who will never be saved. The Spirit doesn't call people who will never come. The Spirit never, God the Father never chooses people who will finally be lost. It's the same group. Those the Father gives will come. And he says, and those that come, I will not cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a precious promise. Knowing that having come to the Lord in faith, having eaten Him, eaten His flesh, and having drunk His blood, we belong to Him. That's why sometimes when I do the communion, I say, if you belong to the Lord, you belong at this table. He'll never cast us out. Some people want to read that. If anyone comes, I won't refuse them. It's not what it says. It says anyone that comes and I already possess them, I won't subsequently throw them out. That is the great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, of the preservation of the saints. Or once we are safely saved and in the arms of the shepherd, no one can pluck us out 
of the Father's hand. Jesus is clear that he's on a mission. He's on a mission to save. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. I counted once, let me count again. One, two, three, four. Four times in this passage, Jesus uses the phrase, I will raise him up on the last day. That's full and final salvation. That's the resurrection. He says in another place, in another discourse, that he has been given the power of life to give to those who come to him. And that he has been given the judgment. He's the one that passes judgment. And he's the one that raises them up. Well, this passage is all about Christ and his power. If you have not come to him, believed in him, embraced him, trusted him, if you are not his, there's no place else to go. He will say in a number of I am sayings, this is the first one, I am the bread of life. He will later say that um, I am the light of the world, I am the true vine, I am the resurrection and the life. He'll make several I am statements throughout his ministry. But this one where he says, I am the living bread. Let me just quote that last phrase of Jesus' sermon. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Do you relish that? Or... Is your heart a little fearful? Is there a concern that maybe you have seen him, you have heard him, but you've not believed? You've not feasted on him? 